Our sermon text for this morning is Acts chapter 20, verses 1 through 12. I invite you, as you turn there, it's on page 929 of your pew Bible. As you arrive there, stand out of respect for the reading of God's word. You'll remember last week uh, in, in the preaching of God's word that we heard of a riot that tried uh, by the power of Satan to silence the gospel. But you'll notice at the beginning of this passage, the riot has ceased. So have the voices speaking against Christ and the gospel goes on. Chapter 20, verses 1 through 12. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. And after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So Peter the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derbe and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days, we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arm said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up, he had broken bread and eaten. He conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive. And we're not a little comforted. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. You may be seated. I feel bad for Eutychus. He can't be the first person to have fallen asleep during a church service, during a sermon. Uh, But I think we can say that the consequences of his sleep were more dire than probably anyone else who's ever fallen asleep during a church sermon or service. Uh, They were, in fact, fatal consequences, a fatal sleep as he plummeted three stories uh, down to the cold, hard surface. And then you have to recognize the fact that Luke was here to record the whole thing. Uh, We know that because uh, he starts using words like we and us, those pronouns. And so Luke saw it and and, and takes up his pen and he writes this down uh, so that Eutychus is forever immortalized in the scriptures as as the young boy who fell asleep during church and died because of it. What do we learn from this incident? What do do we do with this? And uh, I'll be honest. 
I struggled a bit with this this week, you know, searching the scriptures. What, what do I do with, with a text? How do, I, how do I bring the meat of God's word to you from a text like this? And uh, you know what preachers are inclined to say. Well, moral of the story, don't sleep during sermons. You never know what, what will happen if you fall asleep during a sermon. And then uh, it could be fatal consequences. And you know what congregants are uh, happy to say, don't preach too long. Uh, that's the moral of the story. I don't, I don't think either of those is really the heart of the message. Commentators, scholars, uh, they'll say, hey, you know, this miracle, it's, it's just here. Really, it's, it's here conveniently to show a point that Eutychus, uh, his, his resurrection from the dead, uh, and Paul being uh, the one who does this, is showing that just like Peter did that earlier on in Acts, now Paul has the power to do that, and they're of the same authority, same apostolic authority. I think they're right. But then they go on. A lot of scholars say, well, that's, that's all you can glean from this. Not so fast, not so fast. There are texts like this that come to us, and sometimes we have to connect them with the overall themes of the Bible. Themes like sleep, themes like darkness, lamps burning in the darkness. And we have to take these texts and, and we have to look at the, the overall themes and preach the meat, meat of the word. And I think what comes to us that we can proclaim boldly from the word is that here is a warning, amongst other things, against spiritual unalertness. You can become spiritually sleepy and dangerously unalert. In fact, it's possible to sleepwalk your way into the warm fellowship of Christ's church, but then remain unchanged by the means of God's grace, which is surrounding you. And so Christians, a lesson that we take from Eutychus, but then expand through all the scriptures and apply to us. Wake up! Wake up! Awake to the realities, the, the, the spiritual realities around you. And live lives sober-minded, ready, and participating in worship. This is a call to wake up to the wonders of worship. We're going to see this as we look at, at this story of Eutychus. And the first thing I want you to notice is, um, is the warm fellowship that's present here. You know, Eutychus, he gets a bad rap. He's remembered as the guy that falls asleep during church. But Eutychus is... He, he is at the right place at the right time. He came to the right church service because here is warm fellowship. Here is the fellowship of believers. And I want you to picture the scene that's being described for us here. Darkness settles on the city of Troas. It's nighttime, but Christians are eager to worship, especially because Paul's visiting. They have the Apostle Paul visiting and he's preaching. And this is probably the first time they've heard him preach. And it's probably the last time because they know that he's, he's it's on his heart to go to Jerusalem. And everyone who hears him say this knows it's not a, not a, a mission that's probably going to end well. Because people are out to get him. People want to silence the gospel. And so the believers at Troas say, we heard that Paul's coming through. He's going to preach for us this Lord's Day. Let's gather. Let's hear him. Let's stay up late even, uh, listening to him, expound the word, teaching us from the scriptures, discussing the things of God with us. Let's celebrate the Lord's Supper with him. Do you notice all the many marks of true and faithful worship that are present? 
as Eutychus makes his way into the fellowship believers and takes his seat at that windowsill. Well, as we glance around the room, uh, first of all, we see that this is a meeting that's taking place on the first day of the week. And that's nothing just to gloss right over. Because the first day of the week has become, at this point in the scriptures, a significant day. It's the day of Christ's resurrection from the dead. And it's a day to be celebrated as the day of rest. You could call it the Christian Sabbath. Our our, our confession uses that language. A day in which the believers come together and celebrate the resurrection of Christ and find their true rest in that. Out of all the things they could be doing, they set apart that day for the gathering uh, of one another together, hearing the preaching and the teaching of the word. And that's what we also see. This, This day, first day of the week, which comes later in the scriptures to be called the Lord's Day, the day in which Christ was raised, the day in which we gather together and hear God's call to worship. We also see that this church is celebrating the Lord's Supper together. It said they came together to what? To break bread. And we know from the scriptures, from the book of Acts even, that that word breaking bread is not just, hey, we're going to get together and have a meal. It's a fellowship meal. It's an agape feast. It is of which uh, part of that was the Lord's Supper. The bread, the wine. The celebration described in 1 Corinthians 11, as Paul unpacks it, of of, um, eating worthily the body and blood of Christ. And doing this in the warm fellowship and the candlelight of believers. And then, of course, another mark of true worship here is the teaching, the preaching of the word. There's no replacement for pure preaching of the word. So Paul doesn't get up and do something creative. He just gets up and and he preaches. And the people are hanging on his every word. He sees it. They're feasting on the word. So he keeps going until you get to 11 o'clock, 1130, midnight, and he's still going. And the people are still feasting and the lamps are glowing. I think we should see, we're going to talk about Eutychus in a moment, but, but just pause for a moment and picture Eutychus on that windowsill and picture what he's beholding. It is the, the beautiful worship of believers, believers who came weary, but eager for worship. And sometimes I look out and I know that that's you. You're weary. You're tired. You have kids to cart around. You have, uh, you have work that you've been about. Some of you work late night on Saturday. Why? Because, because it's, it's, it's necessary, because you work in healthcare and, and, and you, uh, you're, you're providing for your family. And yet you come early on Sunday morning to break bread, to enjoy the fellowship with one another, to hear the preaching. And and I know you do this. Why? Because you know that your life depends on it. Because God commands it. And I want to encourage you to continue to be here. I also want to ask you a question because it's it's worth asking, even when I see this in you. How eager are you to meet with God's people? Are you eager to join the fellowship of of believers? Are you eager to feast on his word like this scene that Eutychus takes in? This beautiful worship? Are you committed to sacrificing extra sleep, sports games, your work schedule, so that you, you, you are where you need to be on the Lord's day? Are you, are you prepared for that? Or is your heart in that? 
Because this text is, among other things, a reminder that that's the ambiance that the Lord's people need to take in. That's that's the life that we live. That's the commitment that we exude as Christ people. That warm fellowship, that candlelight fellowship, lighting lamps, staying up to hear the word. Here's another question. What's your reaction when the sermon goes longer than expected? What's he doing? I don't do that, do I? <laughs> what, what's it, or, or is it, give me more of the word? What, what can I glean? Give me more of the word. Friends, Eutychus is with the right people at the right time in the right place. You're at the right, with the right people at the right time at the right place this morning. That's an encouragement to you. But I want you to notice that you can be with the right people at the right time at the right place and still be in great danger. The danger of, uh, of sleep. The lamps warm the upper room. The oil that lights those lamps makes the air stuffy. And Eutychus, young Eutychus, looks at the candlelight glow as it flickers. It's a hypnotic, hypnotic uh, flicker. And then Paul's voice starts to sound further and further and further away. It's this dull drone at, some, at this point. And then he just nods off and falls asleep. And when he falls asleep, he falls three stories down to the pavement. Now, friends, when we look at this story in light of the rest of Scripture, we see that sleep is often used in Scripture as a picture of a token of spiritual unalertness. And so I want to step back from Eutychus. I want to look at the rest of the word. And at this point, I want to lean into what the rest of the Bible says about sleep, a dangerous kind of sleep. And, and by the way, I want you to hear in all this, I am not, I am not very concerned when I see someone struggling to see, stay awake during worship. That is not my concern. What I'm much more concerned about is someone whose eyes are wide open and yet they're unteachable to the word. And they're, they're asleep to the things of God. And there's this slumber that goes deep in them. And it's like they're never changing. Eutychus is functioning in this passage as a kind of picture that wakes us up to something more serious than nodding off because you, you, you're, you're tired. And you were up late with keeping, taking care of the little one. We hear about this kind of danger in Romans chapter 13. Verse 11 and 12, the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So let us cast off works of darkness and put on the armor of light. First Thessalonians 5, 6. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober for those who sleep, sleep at night and those who get drunk are drunk at night. Where do we see pictures of sleep, spiritual unalertness in, in the scriptures? Well, Luke's already mentioned them, and they're never uh, particularly good occasions. First one is when the disciples are sleeping up on the Mount of Transfiguration. They're missing the action that's right in front of them. They're at the right place with the right people at the right time, and they're sleeping. And then you go flash forward to the Garden of Gethsemane. They're with Jesus at the right place at the right time with the right people, and yet what are they doing? 
They're sleeping. And Jesus pleads with them, why can't you stay up? Don't you see now is the hour for vigilance, alertness. Why do we fall asleep? I'm not talking about physical sleep. Why do we spiritually slumber? Why do we spiritually doze off? I can think of many reasons. First is the numbing presence of sin in our lives. The abiding, numbing, desensitizing power of sin. 1 Corinthians 15, 34 says, Wake up from your drunken stupor and do not go on sinning. See, what does sin do? Sin desensitizes us to spiritual things that are truly important. It lulls us to sleep with false truths. What what does Satan do? It's like he puts headphones over our ears and causes us to to, to hear the, the, um, uh, the, the, the words of the world, the worldly messages that say things like, you deserve happiness. You do you. Don't let anyone else get in your way. Don't, don't let anyone slow you down from being who you want to be. You deserve it. Go for it. It's just a little habit. It's just a little indulgence. And so we tolerate sin. We tolerate these little things in our life that are like, earbuds plugged into our ears and they send messages uh, to us. And, we, and even when we're sitting in the presence of the preaching of the word, what's going through our mind is, is, is the messages that we've, we've, we've fed our ear, we've, we've, we put in our ears the rest of the week. Worldly messages, sinful messages that, that believe not what the word preaches, but, but what Satan would have us hear. You see what I'm saying? That sin, have you ever noticed it? When there's this pattern of sin that you're indulging in and you know you should cut it off and yet you're letting it have this place in your life, have you ever noticed that sometimes you wonder, "Why why don't I feel conviction? Why don't I feel bothered by this? Why aren't I waking up to the word? Why don't I take action? Well, it's because when, when, when you are, have told yourself all week in these subtle ways that you're entitled to this and that you can keep on doing it, that, that you want it more than anything else, then you're not going to be alert and ready when the word comes with, when it, with, with its convicting power. And the message is, wake up! Don't wait any longer to cast that off, to, to take, take action to repent of your sin. It's dulling you. It's it's desensitizing you. It's pulling you into a slumber. Christians, don't don't let it do that. Be sober-minded, fully awake, cast off the works of darkness. And so sin can be like those earbuds plugged in that that, that dull and, and desensitize the word that's being preached to us in the warm fellowship of believers. But there's another kind of a reason why we fall asleep. And it's the dull drone of familiarity. We become bored in worship. We become bored by the fellowship of believers. Why? 
Because you're so used to it. Because you do it every Sunday. Because you've heard that passage before. Because you've said that prayer of confession before. You've kneeled that way before. Many, many, many times. You're so used to fellowship that it's become commonplace. You're so used to the Lord's Supper that it's become of little consequence. And so you just go through the motions. Very familiar. Almost like the, the, the church at the beginning of, of, of the churches in Revelation that's warned, you've lost your first love, you've, you've grown dull, you're forgetting things. Wake up! Don't let the dull drone of familiarity draw you into boredom with the fellowship of God's people. C.S. Lewis says this, None are so unholy as those whose hands are cauterized by holy things. What's he saying? When you touch and and eat and drink and, and hear holy things in the fellowship of believers over and over and over again, and you let those things become dull and unimportant and of little consequence to you, that is a place of real danger. Real danger. Because those things are meant as of means of grace to, to, uh, to, to summon you before the Lord. And yet you're using them as, as trifles. And so friends, wake up. Wake up when, when you, if you notice that you're just starting to go through the motions. That's not a time to, to lean into that sleep. That's a time to seek action and to turn and say, okay, what do I need to do to meet the Lord? And to not, uh, not to treat his, his, uh, his supper with of little consequence. Like a little bread and a little wine. But of real consequence. We're going to talk about how we do that in a moment. But first, I want to note another thing that causes us to fall asleep. And it's the disorienting sense of a false confidence in yourself. The Bible doesn't lie to us. It tells us often that somehow in our hearts, we tend to think of ourselves as better than we ought. I'm pretty good. I've been a pretty good person this week. I help people. I spend time with other Christians. I go to church. And so we can kind of prop ourselves up, say good things about ourselves. And then instead of being convicted when we ought, We've sidestepped. We've, we've fallen asleep. We've put our head on a pillow. A pillow of what? Of our self-confidence. But the Bible tells us that that pillow isn't actually there. There's a window next to us. And there's three stories down. There's pavement. And if we trust in our good works, we're falling out and we're going to hit real hard. Because it's no savior. We are worse than we think. But God's grace is more glorious than we ever believed it would be. And that's the second thing we tend to forget when we're falling asleep. God's grace becomes dull. When we prop ourselves up and think of ourselves as, as, as pretty good, as, um, as, as doing just all right, then, uh, as, as, uh, as different than those other sinners, I'm, I, I must not be like them, so I'm in good company. Then we forget how important God's grace is and how radical it is and how amazing it is in our lives. Wake up. Wake up to the realities of your sin. Wake up to the realities of your filthy rags 
Wake up to the realities of God's glorious grace. He sent his son to die for you. He died on a cross. He rose again. How do we stay awake? How do we stay awake when we are nodding off in the warm fellowship of believers? And when we take an honest look at ourselves, we say, you know, pastor, I'm not really awake. I'm tired. I'm sleepy. I'm dull. I'm living in darkness, not in light. I have two encouragements for you to to consider. Let me give a stronger word than consider for you to be challenged by. Here are the two priorities that you ought to have as you seek to stay awake. First, participate in the privilege of worship. Participate in the privilege of worship. If you're going to participate in God's people, if you're going to be present and active and engaged, that's what I mean. Then you do have some physical things to attend to because you're an embodied being. You're, you're a person. You're flesh and blood. And part of what that means is you've got to get sleep. And you, you ought to have sleep ahead of worship. So if you're staying up, doing things you don't need to do until late in the night ahead of worship... I think it's actually beholden to me to tell you as a pastor that you need to prepare better. You need to get some rest so that you're here and you're actually able to stay alert. Because if you've done that to yourself, you you put yourself in the situation where you're not able to focus. It's not because of some coincidence out there. It's because you actually put yourself in that situation. Don't do that anymore. Repent of that. You, you, You can change. Get some sleep. Pray, prepare for worship, you know, pr- pray ahead of worship that you would be engaged, that you would be able to fight uh, the, the, the pull of sleep, to fight your, your, your uh, distracted mind. And then when you're in worship, how do you stay engaged? There's no easy answer because everyone's a little bit different. But one of the things that I could say universally is when you are praying that prayer of confession, When I invite you to pray specific prayers of confession to God from your own heart, are you actively bringing before the Lord the things that that you've done? Or are you just waiting in silence? Are you just saying the words and then stopping? Or are you saying, yes, Lord, I'm a sinner. Here's the ways I have sinned. I need you. That's active engagement. And then when you sing the hymns, are you just singing them and, 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 and the psalms and appreciating uh, the, the music? Or, are you, or are, you, are you singing in such a way that you're, you're affirming the truths with your heart? Every time we open the hymnal, you could make it an act to say, Lord, let my heart be in this. Let my heart be in the fight. And then when the, the word is being preached, how do you stay attentive? How do you stay attentive when a sermon's kind of a boring one? Kids, do you know how to stay focused? One of the ways is you can listen for key words and collect them. You can write down or have your mom and dad write down for you key words from the sermon, like sleep, like spiritual sleep. Like wake up. 
as you grow older, as you, as you write more extensively, you can take notes if that's the way that you best focus. In fact, if, if you're not able to focus without notes, I encourage you to get out a pen and start writing on the space on the back of the bulletin. Friends, we need to fight to stay focused. Fight to be in, in the, to participate in worship. Don't let that go. You are to be an active participant in this dialogue that's going on. Did you know that worship is a dialogue? God speaking to you, you speaking back to God. That's a privilege that you get to be part of. Don't mumble the words. Don't say it just to say it. Show up ready to, to act and believe and be part of it. Participate in the privilege of worship. Second, wake up to the wonders of worship. You notice what happens in this passage when Eutychus falls three floors down. He's a young lad who who dies at that moment, but he's a young lad whose name actually means lucky guy. He is a lucky guy. Why? Because Paul's there and he, he comes down And with that same resurrection power that Christ uh, uh, instills in in his people, he causes Eutychus to to rise from the dead. And then what's the next thing that they all do? They walk back up the three floors and they start worshiping again. They go to the Lord's Supper. And then what what happens after that? They start talking about the word throughout the rest of the night. Wait, you just fell three floors... You're not going to go get checked out by a hospital? You're going to go up and start worshiping again? Yes. Yes. Why? Because worship is wonderful. Because worship is amazing. Because Ephesians 5.14 says, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Eutychus is showing us in this passage that there's nothing more, there's nothing more glorious, nothing more important than being with God's people when they're worshiping. And you get to be part of that. Wake up to the wonders of worship. You get to hear God speak to you. You get to be reminded of the most important thing that ever happened in the world. Christ died for your sins. He rose again. You get to be part of that. You get to participate in that. Wake up to the wonders of worship. You know, when I was, especially when I was a little kid, I remembered when mom and dad would wake me up and sometimes it would sound very distant. I would start off kind of like reverberating in my mind, you know, like there's a voice and then the voice would become clear and then the voice would become clear and then I would hear, oh, that, that's, that's mom. And I would open my eyes and there she is. Or it's dad and I'd open my eyes and there he is. I saw his face. You know what God is doing when he preaches to you? Through a, through a weak and, and, and frail pastor, what he's doing is he is calling his voice to you from his word, saying, wake up, wake up, wake up. And then you open your eyes and you get to behold Christ in his glory. First, Christ in his glory in the proclamation of his word. Then in his glory, when we see him face to face and hear his voice, saying, wake up, let's feast. Friends, are you awake? It's time to wake up. It's time to worship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
wake us up to the realities of of heaven, to the realities of Christ's sacrifice for us, and of something far better than the drunken stupor of this world. Not desensitizing and meanless and, and, uh, and, and shallow things, but the realities of worship. And then, Lord, help us to leave worship, but to not stop worshiping in our hearts. And because of that, help us to take the good things of life and enjoy them even more. Because you've redeemed them. We pray all of this in the power and the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's sing a hymn in preparation for the Lord's Supper. It's an insert in your bulletin. I will glory in my Redeemer. And actually, I should clarify, we're going to go to uh, receive the Lindsay's into membership after this hymn and then the Lord's Supper.